And there's my cue. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Lost in a Long Box for December 19th. We are one week away from the Christmas time and uh, Lutmus, as we like, as I like to call it. So, how was everybody's weekend? It was great. Yeah, pretty good. A friend of mine was telling me, uh, Jim, who's actually probably watching the feed, um, Knives Out. He said it was a really good movie. I want to see that. Uh, I saw the preview for that, and I want to see that. And I was telling my wife, we really need to go see that, and uh, I think Saturday I'm going to make do to see It's one of those all-star ensemble type casts, and normally those things don't go well. Yeah. Um, but he said this one is actually well worth the money. So, all right. Anyone got any special news items they want to cover before we get into the news items? <laughs> have you seen, have you watched, uh, I've had the opportunity to watch The Crisis? I've watched the first episode. I've seen the first two. I have not seen the well, third yet. Here's why. In my, in my defense, we're we're about to leave for vacation. Right. And we're going to New Zealand and Australia. Oh, cool. So we are rewatching the Lord of the Rings series and, and maybe Hobbit if we have time because we are going to be going to Hobbiton when we're in New Zealand. Uh-huh. So it's research issue, if you will. Oh, okay. That's what you want to call so it. He's bra- bragging twice on this. Right, mm. exactly. Research. I'm going to New Zealand and you're not, so why? Uh, I didn't say it that way. No, the reason why I brought it you up. You don't have to. Um, sorry, I mean, cut you off, Tommy. The reason why I brought it up is because there's been a lot of negative feedback in regard to it. Really? That I've been reading. Yes, a lot of people have been, there's been a number of complaints. Uh, folks didn't think Kevin Conroy didn't get enough screen time as well. Bruce Wayne. Uh, there are some people who do, who wanted to see more of Brandon Rufus Superman than uh Oh, absolutely. Then, then Tyler Hetchland and and I'm inclined to agree with him. I really think Brandon Roof really needs an opportunity to reprise that role. To, to, yes, and, and here's yes. the thing: I like him in Superman Returns. I thought he was was great in that. Right. The problem is he was just given a bad script. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Script. Terrible, terrible script. And then, as so many people have pointed out, and you don't realize it when you first watch it until someone says it to you, you realize he doesn't throw one punch in that movie. No, yeah. he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. And, and so when you learn that, you're thinking, oh, man, how do you have a Superman movie with no punches? Exactly. So Yeah, I've only seen the movie once, and that was ages ago, so I really don't yeah, remember much and, about it. And, and the, the, but uh, definitely he is the uncast best Superman. A lot of people love feeling it. And, and Superman Returns, Returns had two of the best Superman effects that I think I've ever seen in a movie. One of them was when he stops the plane. Right. And... Uh, and he's got it down in the, in the field, and he rips the door off, and you see him just floating outside, rips the door off, and he just steps onto it like you and I will be stepping onto the porch. Right. Whereas if it was like 70s technology, he would be down on the ground, and he'd be hopping up to it. But like, no, of course Superman would just be floating outside the door and just step into the cockpit. Right. And then the other one is when he's flying through Metropolis after the, the new island has come up and all the windows are shattering, and as he's flying, he just rolls over. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the that is freaking and, and awesome. And it keeps on zipping through because that's what he would do. Right. And um and there was another there was another one too, when he was going up against that guy with that great big Gatling gun. Oh yeah. And the guy just aims and shoots at his eye, and you see the bullet go to his eye well, and just well, bent. What, well, what I love is when it hits his eye, he just gives him this look like that's your ass. Oh yeah, oh yeah, most <laughs> most definitely. Or the other great moment. See, now we're gonna start talking about Superman. when he's holding the, the the boat, you know, right. the the uh, the yacht, and he's got a hold of it, and he and he asks. Uh, God, I can't remember uh, Perry White's son. He's yeah. asking, him, have you got him? He's like, yeah. And he lets go, and you realize he's holding him the whole time, and the whole boat just sinks, and you're like, yeah. that's oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So anyway, let's get into the news items before we start um, talking about Superman Returns and how it could have been wow. good. Um, just a reminder, you guys, Friday, 8 o'clock, ABC, celebrating Marvel Stan Lee. Thank Already you. got the DVR I forgot, set. I forgot about that. Thank you. Well, yeah, set your DVRs we, if you haven't. We mentioned a couple it. weeks ago, so I wanted to make sure we uh, talk about it and uh, remind everyone it's coming. Um, that is both Disney, and uh, Disney owns ABC and Marvel, so right. uh, I don't want to be a, a jerk, but expect that show to be a little skewed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah I'm yeah, sure yeah, it probably yeah. will be. Yeah. But it's still about Stan, so we'll, well check Stan it out. Stan Lee, so we got to give, got got to show him some love. Yeah, right, absolutely. Um, this one I'm actually excited about. I didn't know this um, until I read about it the other day. We're getting a new Spider Woman series in March. Oh yeah, Ooh, yeah. Um, I love Spider Woman. It's going to be by Carlo Pacheco and Pete oh, Pereira Perez as the artist. Cool. Um, and they're doing um, several variant covers with the original Spider Woman costume. Um, I will say, I'm going to list them off here real quickly for you guys. Amazing Spider-Man 41, Avengers number 32 and 33, Deadpool number 5, Guardians of the Galaxy number 3, Ghost Rider number 6, 
Immortal Hulks 3, th- uh, 32 and 33, Thor number 4, and Venom 24. Tommy, look at that. It's not 60 variant covers. Oh. Uh, well, 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 those are the variant covers for those series. I'm sure Spider-Woman number 1 right. will have 60 variant covers. Pro- no, probably not. It do- it, I will tell you, it does have two that I've seen. One with the original costume and one with the new costume. Um, but what I was going to say is, the Spider-Woman versions of those covers, I really like the Spider-Man 41 cover. That's pretty nice. Um, they're kind of bringing back the original costume, but I did see for number one, she's getting a new costume, which mm-hmm. is much better than the stupid um, ripoff of the Burnside Batgirl thing they had done. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yeah. yeah they're, they're tossing that out, and she's going back to more of the One Piece thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to have more of a gray in it than the whole And this is Jessica Drew, right? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Jessica Drew. Okay, brother. cool. Yeah, I'll cool. have to check this out. So she's always been one of my favorite characters, so I'm glad they're actually going to bring her back. Did you like the cartoon? I d- I've never seen him. You've never seen? No. Very well done. I'll have to go look at now. John Van Ark was are, the... Uh, are they based when she was in San Francisco with Magnus and... Uh, I want to say yes. Okay. Because Spider-Man does make an appearance Okay. in one episode. But um, very the art was great. And I do believe Joan Van Ark from Knott's Landing was the, the voice, voice. of okay. uh, Jessica Drew. I will have to look into him. I also um, remember the Valiant comics from back in the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great characters out of that was Exo Man of War. Oh, uh, yeah. Getting a new miniseries. Cool. Oh, it's just a mini? It's not an ongoing? That's just No, one. I think it's uh, five, six issues, but it's going to be uh, written by Dennis. I love this guy's nickname. Dennis Hopeless Hallam hmm. and Emilio Lizo as the artist. Um, and it actually is still going to be King Eric of Dacia. Remember him? The, the mm-hmm. caveman who got the power suit? So Yeah, I have to check this one out. I always liked Exo Man of War. Yeah, that, well, that was always one of Valiant's better titles. Right. I loved yeah. Valiant uh, yeah. and Exo Man of War. So actually glad that um, it's going to be him again. Now, I think they have been doing, um, the new Valiant has been doing an Exo series, but I don't think it's been King Eric. I think it's been someone else. But I could be wrong on that. I just know I haven't read them ever since Acclaim bought them and kicked out Jim Shooter and... You can see the writing on the wall. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, those of you who are still loyal and buying Doomsday Clock, issue 12 finally dropped today. So you can go ahead, pop those things out, and read them all from start to finish now. Didn't two this, years. I was, gonna say, I was just getting ready to say, didn't this series take two years to complete? Absolutely. Here's my, here, and here's my problem. While that was a great series, if it had stayed on the yearly time schedule, I think it would have been a lot more um, relevant and impactful. But so many great stories now that are being told, which were obviously supposed to have come out of Doomsday Clock, mm-hmm. that now it's almost anticlimactic because you have all these other stories that are like the Year of the Villain over in Justice League is doing really good. Deceased did really good. Yeah. Um, the, the whole um, Mr. Miracle series with Tom King came around at the same time. And now the Flash Forward series, which is rebooting everything from uh, the Rebirth universe again. So while Doomsday Clock was really good, it just kind of irks me that they went to that bi-monthly schedule because then you and then the delays so but the reason uh, I mentioned that 12 is out because that means I guess the second hardcover will probably be dropping soon too so you can go ahead and buy the collected because they did the hardcover for issues 1 through 6 already right yeah that's out so anyway if you were buying it like I was you can go ahead dig them all back out now and, and read them in actually one read sitting. the whole story right because by the time the next issue came out I was like I forgot what happened mm-hmm. oh yeah so the uh, 299 universe, one of the best characters I really liked the first time around was Dr. Doom. Remember Doom 29? Doom, right. yeah. So apparently in Doom 2099, the first issue we're going to find out, it's not actually Victor Von Doom in the suit. Wasn't it Victor Von Doom in the suit in the original? Uh, I believe it was, actually. I th- yeah, I always thought it was in the original. So I, don't, uh, I didn't read who it actually is because I plan on picking it up myself, and I don't want to spoil it for myself. <laughs> but my understanding is it's actually supposed to be one of Doom's former enemies. That's now um, Doom 2099. So. Reed Richards. Reed Richards. Uh, I can absolutely see that, yeah. So X-Men, the reboot since Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Power of X is already run into um, publishing troubles because X-Men number five which was supposed to be on January 1st, is now pushed back all the way to January 29th, which is now also pushed back issues 6 and 7 as well. Yep. Um, those have only been pushed back a week in February, so they didn't get too much of a hit, but I wouldn't be surprised if they slipped to March. So, too bad for that. I haven't been following it anyway, so. And Marvel is also going to be doing a series of these um, one-shots, eight eight of them, double-sized uh, Marvel snapshots. 
fairly reminiscent to the whole um, Marvel thing that Alex Ross did. Okay. So, and it's going to be the same type of deal. It's going to be how the outside world and, and uh, the non-superpowered view the Marvel heroes um, in the Marvel universe. The first issue is going to be Submariner. Oh, okay. So, and it'll be set during World War II, so that should actually be pretty good. That could be interesting. Yeah, I might have to check some of these out. Well, remember, um, Submariner in World War II was a hero. Yeah. It's not till FF comes along that they paint him, you know, paint him up as a villain. Yeah. So. Well, he's a hero by default. He really didn't like the surface world, but he needed to make sure he defeated the Nazis so they didn't affect the ocean. Right. right. Exactly. So. Well, and you got to remember in uh, the the 30s and 40s. Well, not the 30s. My bad. In the 40s into the early 50s, everybody was fighting the Nazis. Oh, everybody <laughs> was fighting the Nazis. Yeah. And then this, and then the science fiction monsters that came about of the uh, nuclear testing and the bombs dropping on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's like, oh, now we got a new enemy. And then, of course, in the 50s, the superheroes comics all start petering out. So. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you know, back, basically during that time period, you had to use the Nazis. You had a real life supervillains. Right. You know, you just, it was either either the, the Nazis or the Japanese or just the whole Third Reich to begin with. Right. I mean, because you you know you had built-in supervillains there for real. Didn't they have the Japan Nazis back then? Probably did. I think I remember reading something like that, some like Invaders comic book where they referred to them as Japanese Nazis, Japanese Nazis. Well, I know in the I think in the Superman the the old Fleischer cartoons they yep. do the Japatours, which we, there's no way you can get away. A lot of the stories you could just not get away with today. No, no, yeah. no. We and, I, I I watched one of the the, the black and white Batman serial. Yeah, oh, my oh my god! They, oh my yeah, god! Yes. No. You mean the older public serials? Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. the Columbia serials, the first yeah, Batman no. serial. Oh my god! The That's things just full they of say. stuff you can't do today. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. From 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 the moment it starts, from the moment it ends, it's just full of stuff you can't do. In yeah, it, it, it was definitely, you know, I'm saying I'm diehard Batman, but I'm gonna be real. It was very anti-Japanese, man. Oh yeah, it was. And even in the final chapter, Batman even throws a few slurs. Oh yeah, Jim. <laughs> and I'm like, well, damn. <laughs> but it it had its moments too. Like the funniest part is when they when when uh, the one woman was looking for Bruce and and Dick and they and couldn't find them because they were of course out acting as Batman and Robin, and they said, "Well, it was such a hot day that we just pulled the car over to the side of the road and 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 sat down on the lawn and took a nap." And she bought that. Yeah, she bought it. And she oh, bought that. I think I've actually remember that too. Yeah, it's crazy. Was it was it Aunt Harriet by chance? No, no it wasn't Aunt Harriet. <laughs> it was Linda Page. Okay. She wound up becoming a um, 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 ongoing character in, in the Batman comics later in later years. I just the, I've never seen him. I just think the funniest thing is uh, in the Batman costume, the one bat ear was always skewed off to the side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just if you ever get a chance to watch him, just just be prepared, you because you're like, oh my. Yeah, God. It, it's it's ba- it was good for the time, but it was like but you could tell it was made could, in a different. There's time. even <laughs> part, parts of it where they're getting in fighting Batman's. Trunks rip. You see his trunks done ripped open and all. It's funny, isn't it? The special effects are pretty special too. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. C- kind of like the um, the old Doctor Who special effects of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So um, on to other things. This is actually not news. It's just as much as just kind of worth mentioning because when I read it, I went, "Huh, this is actually kind of interesting." Um, Fantastic Four issue seventeen, which I think came out last week. Um, and you don't have to be reading Fantastic Four to to actually um, get this because this this issue is in the middle of a storyline, but it kind of jump starts from back at the beginning of the story to show you how this happens. Um, reveals a new wrinkle in the origin of the FF. Yeah. So if it's, I would say, uh, Enos, run out the gateway and get one. Yeah. You, you might actually like the little wrinkle they throw in. There. Oh, okay. So. Anybody, anyone got any news? Any other news that I haven't mentioned? Something you read that you said, hey, we need to talk about this. Uh, Superman 18. I read that this weekend. I haven't read mine. Shush. I, I, I'm not going to say anything. If you haven't got it, ladies and gentlemen, shame on you. Right. If you can find it, get it. It's worth it. Trust me on that. And you'll know the cover. It it's, it's, it's a close-up of Superman holding Clark Kent's glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, had an opp- I, I had an opportunity to pick it up when I was... Uh, out and about earlier in the week, and I didn't because I'm, I'm really not reading Superman. But maybe I'll check it out if it's such a big. Well, yeah. Well, you know, this is the big part one of the truth. Right? Yeah, part one of the one where he 
So. You know, it's not going to be Clark Kent anymore. Right. Not gonna I, I'm actually just way behind on reading my comics. So I still, you and me both, buddy. I still got a pile of like five or six from last week I haven't read. And oh, I, I got more than that. And I picked up like another $60 worth of comics a day. Mm. All right. New releases. Boy, let me tell you what. We got a, a bunch of them this week, too. So, again, the, the formerly mentioned Doomsday Clock number 12. Um, I'm also putting a couple out here. Far Sector number two. The reason I'm mentioning Far Sector number two is because you can probably still get number one at your shop. And so far, this is shaping up to be a really good book. So, I have one and two. I haven't read them so yet, but I have them. So go out and grab Far Sector two and grab a back copy of one. Um, it's the whole thing with the, the murder mystery way, way, way out the edge of space. Um, so far after, I don't think the Green Lantern Corps has even given it a number. And the Lantern there has to investigate the murder, and she's actually um, a human from Earth. So, like, okay, how did she get here? Which they still haven't told us what she's doing out there. Um, Harleen, number three, and Joker Killer Smile, number two. Those are both from the um, the DC Black label, the oversized one, just like uh, Batman Damned and Superman, Last Man on Earth, whatever. Um, You can also still find the previous issues of those at your comic shop. I can tell you our friends at Gateway still had all of them. Those have been really good so far, especially Harleen. Harleen Criminal Sanity number two hasn't come out yet, so that one's been pushed back. I know, and that was so disappointing to hear. Right. Well, remember, that's the one that had the really beautiful artwork. Yes, that's, that, is a, that first one was amazing. But I can tell you the Harleen series has been just as good. Um, and so far, Joker Killer Smile number one didn't disappoint either. So Harleen three, Joker Killer Smile number two, go out there, grab them. Your shop will probably have the, the previous issues there as well. Um, Low Low Woods number one. This is the next series in the Hill comics from um, Joe Hill and DC Comics. Remember, he, um, Basket Full of Heads and Dollhouse Family Issues 2 are both out, so mm-hmm. one and two of those. But now, Lolo Woods, the next uh, title in the series, has dropped number one today. Suicide Squad number one has also dropped today. I don't, uh, I don't really particularly care for the reboot of that one because it looks like it's Harley and Deadshot and mm-hmm. the usual band of misfits, and I'm sure it's only going to be... Uh, for however many issues it takes for James Gunn's uh, movie to come out. Yeah. Well, that's probably not till 2021, so... Yeah, probably not. Probably preparing you for that. But back to the DC Black Label series, Wonder Woman Dead Earth number one came out today. Um, did not pick it up myself. Like I said, I already had way too much on my pile, and so I, I'm just not, I can't add that to. But if you are a fan of those DC Black Labels and how they're getting a little bit of an edgier story, and you're a fan of Wonder Woman, that might be a pickup for you. And then the Year of the Villain keeps uh, steamrolling on through with Hell Arisen number one dropping today. That's a four-issue series, too. Uh, I had to give it up for Scott Snyder and that whole storyline over in Justice League and uh, Perpetua and the Monitors. That's been a really good story. Any issue reading that? What's that? The um, Perpetua and the Year of the Villain over there in Justice League? Pretty good no, stuff. No, I've Pretty been reading stuff. the Year of the Villain and a lot of other books. All oh, the one-shots? Yeah. Um, no, I'm in like Hawkman, oh, right. um, Aquaman, what have you. So, um, yeah, you yeah, have to check out the Justice League. I have to check out the Justice been, League one. The Justice League one's been really good because Perpetua has finally given Lex Luthor like this ultimate power, and all the one shots have him have been Lex Luthor going to the other villains who's basically telling him, Quit with this panty ante stuff. I've got real power. You just have to join my side. Mm. Um, so yeah, this has been really good. Um, over in Marvel Land, um, 2099 Omega number one. Looks like it's setting up the whole re, um, restructuring and rebirthing of the 2099 universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in that, pick that up. And this one just just kind of like cracks me up when I saw it today. Eternals number one, the facsimile edition. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, I remember buying the original one of this on the stand. I remember <laughs> buying the original one for what was it, $5 at that yard sale yeah, we went up. to. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you still have yours, one that you bought from the stand, then I you don't know. No, it's, it's one of the ones I had to get rid of years ago. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. I did have a bit of news, Randy. I forgot, we were talking about it when um, this before. Um, my um, for those of you who saw Captain Marvel, if you remember, um, Carol's best friend was um, I can't, uh, Marsha Rambo, I believe that was her name. And she had a little girl Monica named Rambo. Monica. Uh, some of her mother. Oh, you're talking about in the movie. In the, in the movie. movie. Okay. In the movie. I'm sorry. That's all right. No problem. Uh, well, we're going to get an opportunity to see in our very grown-up Mon- Monica Rambeau in the new WandaVision series that'll be on Disney+. Plus. 
The actress who was portraying her is Tiana Paris. And I'm here to let you know she looks like she stepped right out of the comic book. She she looks that good. I noticed that too when they when they um when I saw the picture that did they they as far as from a look standpoint I don't know anything about the actress so I don't know whether she can act or not but from a look standpoint they got it pretty dead on yeah she's pretty dead on and if you saw my post um you saw my cousin from Bermuda Tyrone hey Ty what's up man um if you're watching um he put this up last night and all I could say was three words damn she's fine. Well, remember, when we saw Captain Marvel, um, we, even, we even said in the series, um, they just set up to get us a Captain, yeah. you know, Monica Rambeau uh, in, the, in the movie soon. So, um, hey, guess what time it is? It is time to pay the bills. Let's quit reading my notes. Yes, you're right. Clobbering <laughs> time. That's what Clobbering time, time. I should have said that that was good. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's episode of Flashback... Oh, I'm sorry. Fly, not he Flashback. did it again! Flashback <laughs> Comics is brought to you by Lost in the Long Box. <laughs> Tonight's episode of Lost in the Long Box is brought to you by Flashback Comics, which is located on 3112 PS Business Drive, just off Smoketown Road in Woodbridge, Virginia. They have a great, they have a great selection of new comics, back issues, trade paperbacks, toys, and statues. Some may even consider this a one-stop shop. It's it's that great of a shop. We we highly recommend it. Now they're now they're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6:30 p.m. and Sundays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And when you go visit, tell Troy that Lost in the Long Box sent you. So I do have one question. Yeah. How how much is Troy paying you to retitle the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. Excuse me, everybody. I'm I'm having technological um, differences. There we go. Telekinetic right. difficulties. Right. It is time for a show and tell. Everybody's um, favorite segment. Yes, yeah, it's actually quickly become one. Um, so again, uh, I say this every week. I'm going to say it again. If you are listening to the podcast live, jump onto YouTube because you are going to want to see this. Uh, we are showing off comics from our own personal collection. And my own friend, Jim, who um, tries to watch and listen to us every week, has told me that every week when he says it can't get any better, it does. So the one that I brought in, and I'm going to tell you, it's not highly valuable. It's not, you know, a fantastic book, but it is one of my favorites. Um, I bought this off the stand, and it's just has always remained one of my favorite books. Um, it didn't run very long, but it is Beware the Claws of the Cat, number one. Wow. Now, this is the that fir- looks great. Right? This is the first appearance of Greer Nelson. Who will become who, Enos? Tigra. Yes, absolutely. Um, and if you notice, see this costume? Everybody's looking at that costume going, that's Hellcat. No. Nope. Greer Nelson, the cat, wore it first. After she becomes Tigra, she then will give her blessing to Patsy Walker to take um, a version of her costume. But they're, they're comic book characters. Do they really have hand-me-down clothes? Yeah, p- pretty much. I mean, it's... That's weird. I, I don't actually have the storyline itself. I think it takes place in the Avengers, like 141, 144, when Patsy Walker takes over as mm-hmm. Hellcat. Yeah. Right. Where Bill Nelson gives her the blessing to use um, a derivative of her costume. Yeah, it takes place with uh, Squadron, uh, Squadron Supremes involved and everything. I read it, actually, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Marvel yeah. Unlimited. So this is, unfortunately, this series only ran four issues, so it didn't do very well. Uh, but from this one, she will then pop up again at the end of the series in Giant Size Creatures number one, where we get the whole Tigra origin. So <laughs> that's a pretty book, too. James, uh, yeah. his, James says, uh, look at her feet, and I just looked. And it was like, <laughs> well, she's got claws. Claws on her feet. Hey, look, man, you can tell McFarlane didn't draw them, okay? All right. <laughs> All right, next up, this is actually a beautiful book Tommy brought here. And it has a little story, so Tommy's going to get to tell yes. it. But Black Panther, number one, and this bad boy is oh, great wow. at 7.0. Ah. So wow. the story behind this is my brother got this for me. It was a gift from uh, – this was a, a gift from my brother, and I figured during this time of, of Christmas season this would be a good one to, to, to point out. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard me talk about it, but I had some comics that I've come to f- decide have been stolen from me. I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but they were. And among them were Avengers 4, Giant Size X-Men number 1, Captain America 100. And where I can never remember the, the specific number, it was the Fantastic Four that was the first appearance of the Silver Surfer. Um, and when my bro- we lost video. And when my brother found out that um, you know, this happened, you know, he went out and picked this book up for me. 
you know, he's telling me, he says, I know this probably can't replace the ones you lost, but I, I, I got you something. And so this is kind of one of, a, one of those special books to me. Because it's a gift from my brother. Now, what he doesn't know is he's been to my house and he's seen the stuff that I have on my shelf, the really nice stuff on the easels. There's a little back room in the closet where I've got like this beautiful Avengers 4 and this giant size X. Yeah, because of course you do, right? <laughs> I've actually been thinking seriously about um, about cracking the slab on that one and sending it back to be um, to re- be resubmitted. <laughs> because 7.0 seems low. <laughs> well, it does. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know why I did this, but I did not get this book cleaned and pressed prior uh-huh. to... Uh, prior to having it graded. I don't know why I did that, but I didn't do it. Is this one of the ones that you brought to AwesomeCon um, e- either early this year or the year before and dropped year off before, at the table? Year before. Yeah, year before. Oh, and we're back. Yeah, so this was year before, and I did not have it cleaned and pressed, so I really need to go in and look at the grader notes and see if there's you know defects that cleaning and pressing can take out. And uh, if it is, I might might want to resend that one. Yeah, I, I really hate the fact that CGC does not put grader notes on these things. You can get them, but I think they make you pay extra for it now. Yeah. Whereas their other co- the other company that CBCS puts the greater notes on them, yeah. Uh, the problem is they are so woefully behind schedule now. Good luck ever getting it back. Yeah. Um. So I know the video's back up, but we're we're small screen. Just letting you know. I don't know if that matters or not. But yeah, yeah. So this is one of my th- you know based on the story behind it. This is one of my one of my personal favorite books. All right. Um. Enos brought in another great one, and Dell just like Gold Key prints these books with no number on the cover. Um. But. We have the Lone Ranger. Um, Dell and Goldkey were both famous for doing um, comics based off of television shows and loved to do the photo covers with them as well. And this is a good book. That's a pretty book. Classic Clayton Moore in there on the cover. Bought that for doing, and this is another one that was part of my travels during the Air Force, purchased from Tales Resold in Goldsboro. I uh, bought this, I do believe, in 1987. That's a beautiful book. Yeah. And you, Clayton Moore was one of my favorite. Uh, I would argue he's probably one of the real superheroes, uh, one of the first superheroes, because isn't he back in like the same time as Superman? Yes, Superman he was. Him? Yeah, so him and uh, the Phantom and I think the Shadow. and That's a good book there, Enos. Yeah, the Green Hornet's great uncle. And then... <laughs> I got to tell you what, um, I'm just going to make sure that I friend Scott like a thousand times to get his will updated so I can just get all these books one. Not he, going to you, bro. <laughs> Justice League number 101. Wait, hold up. You mean you've already decided who all your Justice League's going to? Yeah. Me, of course. No, no, I don't think it's you. No, it's my niece. Yeah, I, I would say it must be your niece. Yeah. Now, is she in the comics? Not yet. Not yet. Christmas is coming. Though. Christmas is coming. We're going to raise this kid right. I've got to pick up some Archie's for her. There you go. Are you going to pick up some or just loan her yours? No. I'm not, <laughs> she's going to mess up my, my RGs? No way. <laughs> All right. So, beautiful uh, Justice League 101. I really like this cover, too. Well, it's it's the classic kind of cover that you saw right. like in like all throughout the 60s and 70s, where it has like the roll call and the action scene. and the... This is, uh, and actually, this is another JLA JSA, JSA crossover because I see Sandman yep. and Our Man oh, and, yeah. and Wonder Woman and Dr. Midnight there. And, and any, that's Starman, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, it's a 20-cent cover. They had been like 15 cents up to this point, I think. Is that? Oh, okay. So. For and half a uh, second, Metamorpho there looked like Solomon Grundy in the corner. I was like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what's Solomon Grundy doing with the heroes? And great art by the late, great Nick Cardi. Yes. He did Justice League for a long, yeah, long time, too. All right, that is the show and tell for today. Another really pretty book. Absolutely. So, tonight's subject, this is actually going to be a bit of a butte. Um, We are going to be talking about the underground comics. So, underground comics played a a huge role in the comic book industry. In fact, a lot of today's independent publishers probably wouldn't exist had it not been for the influence of the underground comic. No argument there. Um, But... Here's and I, and I have to mention a little bit of, of history here that actually wasn't with underground comics, but a lot of people kind of argue that maybe this is they stem from this. Back during like the 20s and into the late 40s, um, there was a bunch of anonymous um, periodicals 
showing uh, basically ripped off versions of superheroes in pornographic acts. Ah. Yeah. They are also known as a Tijuana Bible. Tijuana Bible. Um, and it is heavily argued that those influenced the underground comics um, because they ran them for a long time. And yeah, I believe, I, yeah. huh? I think that's a certainty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Because most of them, and this ran with underground comics as well, were produced um, by the creators and were just printed off like just various copies to give to friends you know, and family. Yeah. They weren't ever actually published anywhere. Um, so they're actually quite collectible if you can ever find any yeah, of them. Yeah, quite rare, quite valuable. Um, which is kind of funny. Even those Tijuana Bibles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the Tijuana Bibles is what I'm referring to. But so the underground comics came about almost directly as a result of what happened with the CCA. Um, yeah. Because the CCA said you now have to start, you know, paying attention to what you put in books. And can't stop the signal, man. Right, exactly. Absolutely. So, and the irony here is a lot of the publishers of the underground comics were influenced by the works of EC Comics oh, yeah. and magazines like uh, Mad from Harry Kurtzman, the very same periodicals that the CCA then turned around and hadn't smacked down as, you know, why they were formed. Um, so they actually got their heyday. In the U.S., probably in the late 60s into the early 70s, and I think the U.K., they got a bit of a later start, like in the 1970s. Makes sense. Yeah, it usually hits overseas a little bit later. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I have on it so far. Um, I guess uh, they started getting really popular um, with, Robert, with people like Robert Crumb, mm. um, but their big thing was they did a lot of the stories and the material that you couldn't see in this because of CCA books like drug yeah, use, drug and, use and, free and violence and, and, and sex. But they also did a lot of social commentary as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause CCA, you were, um, you know, they were pretty big on, on keeping stuff out. Remember they, they didn't want those Spider-Man drug abuse issues in there, you know, during, uh, during that time period when Stanley wanted to, to go over the horrors of drug use. So, you know, a lot of social commentary and comics had to be disguised. And these were just ones that would just put it out there and say, screw you, CCA. Right. Well, and the thing that's kind of funny about this, and by the way, I should have disclaimed this long ago. Um, guys, there's going to be a little bit of mature content in tonight's show. So you have been warned and advised that you might hear a bad word here or there. Mm -hmm. um, but the irony is when these comics were first being produced, since you couldn't obviously sell them in the, the market where other comic books were, uh, they were distributed through head shops. Who knows what a head shop is? That's where you get your uh, pot pipes. Pot, pot pipes and <laughs> right. paraphernalia, if your, you want to. Your, your, your pipes that are for tobacco use only. only. Right. But how many tobacco people do you know buy a, a, a water pipe to smoke tobacco? Yes, right? exactly. And for those of you that aren't on YouTube, I was making air quotes with my hands. Air when, I when I was saying tobacco use only. I remember... Um, I never smoked tobacco through... Through one of those pipes ever. Very non-committal. I'm laughing because now when he turns his head, his nose is hitting me. Uh, <laughs> but I remember here in town. Remember we had Joker's Wild. Uh, what? Uh, the head shop we had here in town was called Joker's Wild. I think I remember where that was. It was on uh, Princess Sand Street uh, uh, down there. By, well, I'm not going to tell you how I know where it was. Well, <laughs> we think we all know by now by the way you're talking. Oh, that never came into question. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I, I actually know because it used to be next to my dad's shop. I mean, literally right next to my dad's shop. Wow. And, and he was always amazed at the number of good-looking girls that went there. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so They're going to get their paraphernalia. Right, absolutely. So, Anyway, when you get smoking tobacco only, right? When you talk about the underground comics, Robert Crumb, who was one of the most successful creators of the underground comics, um, summed it up perfectly because he says that people forget that that's what it was all about. That was why we did it. We didn't have anybody standing our saying, "No, you can't draw this. You can't show that. We could do whatever we wanted." Yeah, and that's why they got so huge. Um, so, anybody, before I do all the talking, do you have anything to add about the origin or underground comics or? I'm going to be honest, this is something that, that I don't have a lot about. Um, you know, you're pretty much covering it, covering it for pretty me here. Pretty much. Yeah. Enos, what do you got for us? Uh, the only thing I can tell you, though, to be honest with you, my um, 
exposure to underground comics, just as Randy said, was through Robert Crumb. And I really um, got a really good insight on the underground comics, not just that, but independent comics, period, through the DVD comic book Confidential. Which I, which is a documentary on the industry itself, and the, the, it touches DC and Marvel, but most of its focus is on independent and underground comics. They talked to Robert Crumb, Harvey Picar, who was the creator of American Splendor, uh, which Paul Giamatti did. It's a great he, movie. Didn't Paul Giamatti win the Academy Award for playing Picar? I, I believe he did. And, if um, not, he should have. Yeah, right. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know, and I talked about on a previous show about how I got exposed to underground comic at that very same bookstore that I bought um, the comics that I show on show and tell from, uh, Omaha the Cat Dancer. And then uh, I was kind of like a taken aback by what was in there, but the whole purpose of the underground comics was just like you said, you do what you want to do. Right. It, it, it was like as digital underground would say, do what you like. So, and that's what they did. So, um, definitely, it is. these are not comics for kids, ladies and gentlemen, but um, definitely, it's a big market for them. And here's what's funny. When you go to a shop, or a shop, when you go to a comic show um, or a convention, you probably aren't going to see any of them on the wall. No, I would imagine you wouldn't. But find any Golden Age dealer or, or Silver Age dealer whose primary focus is that, and ask him if he's got any undergrounds, he's probably got them under a counter. Yeah. Or, and if he does, they're going to easily fetch five figures for mm-hmm. a beat-to-hell copy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned Omaha the Cat Dance. We'll actually get to that in a second because right. she's listed, or is it a she? Is Oma she? Is she? Is is she? Yeah, I believe we talked a little bit about that on one of our, our previous episodes. Yeah. Too. Right. So. But anyway, so apparently, and I did not know this, San Francisco was actually the big hubbub for... Um, the underground comics. That's right. where Crumb and a lot of his uh, uh, associates were, like Charles Plimmel, I guess, and Don Donahue um, were out there. But what really starts happening is in 1968, Robert Crumb publishes Zap Comics um, for his underground press. Now, the reason this becomes significant is it actually becomes financially successful, and I think it's the first underground comic that starts making money. Yeah. Um, which is then sets off a whole firestorm for him because then he starts doing other titles, which we got like um, from from him like Despair, and I think it's pronounced Unida, U N E E D A. That's how I'd pronounce it. Um, and then some other ones, and again, spoilers, guys, language, big ass comics. <laughs> and, I kind of want to go pick up a, a, a issue or two of that just because of the name. Right? Are they uh, normal sized or? Uh, Are they big ass? Uh, they're, they're like, wow, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but then some other ones, and, and some other ones that came out of them were like R. Crumbs, Comics and Stories, Motor City Comics, and I've actually heard of those titles. I've even heard of this publisher, Rip Off Press. Sure. I've heard of them. Homegrown Funnies by Kitchen Sink Kitchen Press. Kitchen Sink I've heard of. Right, High Tone Comics. Um, and then the Pornographic Anthologies, Jizz and Snatch. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't mention them and not mention the name. There's one in here that was And, done. of course, because we're guys, we have to laugh. Oh, yeah. no, it gets better. Wait till, wait till I start talking about the women's influence on underground comics because it is heavily male-dominated, but we do get some women creators in the mix as well. Right. Um, but because he does really good with those comics, um, they actually start making money, and they start catching mainstream attention. And not only did you have both the sex and the crime stories taken off, but can you imagine? Let's think about it. What genre got heavily affected by the CCA? Horror. The there horror. you go. And so you start getting a lot of horror titles that now start popping up in the underground comics, and they get just as successful. So things like Skull, uh, which was also by Ripoff Press, and then Boogeyman, and, and Fantagore, and Insect Fear, whatever Insect Fear is. I don't think I even want to read that one. It um, have a lot of spiders in it. Right. Fantagore, by the way, I didn't know this one, was actually done by the legendary Richard Corbin. Mm. Huh? So I would like to find that just because of Corbin. So and then one called was Up from the Deep, um, which was from Ripoff Press. Another one, Death Rattle by the famous Kitchen Sink, which we've all heard about. Um, followed by um, Gory Stories, Deviant Slice, Two Fisted Zombies. Gotta love that one. Two Fisted Zombies by by Last Gasp uh, Press. Well, we also know about about them, but and they even say that a lot of that work in the horror comics was strongly, strongly influenced by all the stuff that came out of BC. 
Um, and those are other books, too, by the way, Madman. When we talk about comics that uh, a lot of times you find them under the counter just because they don't put them on the wall, yeah. is EC Comics. Oh, yeah. But not because of their content, but because they're hard to get. So and, valuable. And you just don't put that on the wall for anybody to grab and look at. Absolutely. Right. right. Well, I mean, that's what I love about the whole idea of these independent comics is that it was going on in a time when there was heavy censorship in the mainstream. And that's what I love about it is like you can't, it's so hard to censor people right in this country you know and that's the the whole idea of this of the CCA is basically self-censorship and I I don't know any freedom loving person wouldn't like that right. but even despite this people are still creating whatever they want right yeah and it was definitely the precursor to a lot of the independence that we have today you know Absolutely. being able to go out and do so it's a you know a pretty important part in comic book well, history Well I think it's a good thing that you know there's not just two Comic book companies. Yeah, yeah I mean, you it's can't very have important. It's yeah, it's very important that there's there's multiple, so you can have yeah. more ideas and everything. I mean, DC and Marvel are going to be. I don't want to say handcuffed with what they do, but you know, they're they're the the big Pretty dogs. Much, though. Yeah, they're the big dogs. They're not the ones that are going to take any huge chances. And it's also safe to say that it was the underground comics who were the forefathers of what would become Image. Yeah. Oh, and, and, absolutely. And fueled yeah. the fire for those guys to do stuff like that because it came to a point where they just got tired of seeing people getting ramshot or getting getting railroaded for their creations oh, and yeah. getting nothing for it. And um, that's why you will never see, unless the person is heavily involved. You ever notice in the comic book films? You don't see very everything that's created own goes strictly to television, right? It's not big budget and everything because the you the, the Hollywood and the creators will be in the eternal tug of water, moving never get made because you know how Hollywood wants to do. Hollywood wants to just like satisfy everybody and change everything for the sake of what happened instead of leaving things as it is. So that's why that's why you would see uh, you never see hardly any. Uh, create our own comic book characters getting made into feature films because of Tug of War. That, it's funny that you said that because I'm going to deviate for just a moment here. Um, there's a comic book character actor called Nexus. And the Steve char- Rude. And the character is actually an intergalactic, intergalactic assassin. It's not a nice character. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter David, longtime writer at Marvel Comics, was particularly on The Hulk and the Mr. Fix-It and several mm-hmm. other titles, right. got called in by Disney because they had a new project, and he goes in, and it was a poster of Nexus on mm-hmm. the wall. And he goes, wow, you, you guys are doing Nexus. That's, you know, that's kind of risque for Disney, you know, that you're going to be taking a chance. That's, you know. And he even says, that's a bit of a, an off character for you guys. And he says, well, we're changing a couple things about him. He goes, oh, like what? He goes, well, the whole intergalactic assassin thing is going to be taken away, and they're going to basically superhero him up. And he's like, well, that's, that's not Nexus. And like, well, yeah, it is. It says Nexus on the poster. Um, so they were going to change everything about the character. And I think he was even wondering, how does Steve Rude sign off of this? He said he left the meeting, called his agent, and said, I want no part of this. Wow. Right. So, but, yeah, but, but classic point there. Um, but back to the underground comics. Um, so a lot of these guys were doing their work just to do it and tell the stories that they couldn't tell in the regular mainstream. And then something amazing happens. They get noticed. Um, some would say this is a good thing. Some would say it's a bad thing. But in the late 60s, there is actually an exhibit at the Cochran Gallery of Art, hmm. um, which a lot of the artwork was being displayed um, from like uh, Von Bode and Kim Deitch and Jay Lynch and, of course, uh, Robert Crumb and St- uh, Walter Hopps or museum director, Walter Hopps. I'll get this out, guys. Sorry. Mm. But they put a lot of the artwork of the underground comics on display in the museum. And you know what happens? Once you catch uh, media attention like that, other uh, people start up. taking notice. Yep. And you, start, and you start selling. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so what ends up happening then is in 1970, we actually get a film version of Robert Crumb's Fritz the Cat. Yes, I haven't. Se- I have never seen Fritz the Cat, but I have heard of Fritz the Cat. From my understanding, you know, he's well, a cat, and he goes on various adventures that sometimes lead to s- the cat having sex. Well, they I act- about to say before you said that, I was like, he ain't Garfield, y'all. That's right. what dog on show. Yeah, well, it's, it's a very adult-oriented cat. Well, 
I remember the tagline for the movie was actually, he's X-rated and animated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Fritz the Cat was actually one of Crumb's biggest selling books when it came out. Um, and then that's followed up with um, like another movie, Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat and Down and Dirty Duck. So, which were also, you know, underground titles. But now here's what's really interesting. And you're going to kind of scratch your head when you hear about this. The underground comics movement is also to believe a direct influence upon the making of the Lord of the Rings movie. And I mean the 1978 animated, not the, the, right. the Jackson movies, because, the Jackman movies, because it was, again, artists telling the story the way they wanted to tell it, and they weren't deviating from the source material. And it was influenced by that, that free artwork and that staying close to the, to-, to the story, as well as another movie called The Forbidden Zone from 1980. Um, and they also, and this is the one that just kind of, I'm still trying to figure this one out. There's almost uh, a direct correlation between underground comics and the popularity of Monty Python's Flying Circus. See, I never got into any of the Monty Python stuff, so. But, so, and not to be undone, remember I was telling you earlier that um, it was heavily male-dominated, which, you know, the sex and events, what have you, uh, but that doesn't mean that women creators were just left in the dark. Um, we had a couple of them, particularly um, by a lady known as Trina Robbins, who did one called It Ain't Me, Babe, which was put out by Last Gasp which is another, again, one of the big uh, publishers of underground comics. It was an all-female underground comic. Um, then it was also women's comics. I like the way it was spelled, too. It was W-I-M-M-E-N-S, women's comics. Mm-hmm. And it had a whole bunch of other creators in it, like uh, Belinda Gebby and Linda Berry and Aline Kaminsky and, and Sherry Flinkenstein. Um, and here's another one, too. And I'm sorry, guys, again, spoiler alert, you know, language. There was a comic called... Tits and Clips Comics, <laughs> done by, who was it, Lynn Shevel, I think, and Joyce Farmer. So, yes, there were a lot of female creators out there who said, you know what, Says, I kind of like this underground format. Let's start doing some comics in it. And yeah. there was also an underground comic that um, I failed to mention that started off and wound up getting mainstream, mainstream, and that was Love and Rockets by the Hernandez Absolutely, brothers. yes. Good stuff. I've heard of Love and Rockets. I but I think they come along after, because here's, here's the problem. After yeah. the Carkin exhibit, the heyday of the comic kind of starts to go away, uh, the underground comics. Mm. Because come 1972, due to all the publicity, the little guys get squeezed out because they start making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and meaning if you're making money, you can start putting more into your production values. Right. So by 72, you only have four of the underground comic publishers left, which is... Print Mint, Rip Off Press, Last Gasp, and Corrupt Comic Works, which Rip Off Press and Last Gasp are two of the big famous ones that we know. And I think the Corrupt Comic Works becomes Kitchen Sink Press. Kitchen Sink Press, mm-hmm. yes. So, and then what happened? Um, suddenly, now that um, people have taken notice of the underground comics and it's okay to get away with some of that stuff, Playboy and National Lampoon get into the act. Oh, Lord. And now you can you get to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that almost spells a death knell because what happens around the same time that Playboy and National Lampoon start doing um, risque adult comics? We get the opening of the direct shops. And once you got the direct shop in the comic market, so now you no longer had to sell them in head shop. They didn't have to be under the counter. You could just go to your comic shop. Local comic shop and, and pick up what you want. And absolutely, guys like um, Wally Wood and um, Robert Crumb found out, hey, there's now a new outlet from my work, and I'm going to start using it. Yep. And this is where, and Enos just brought, brings up what you talk about. This is where we start seeing a title such as Omaha the Cat Dancer, um, because now we have the marketplace in underground comics. We can go ahead and put them out there. And so while I love the direct market, um, one can can easily argue that was almost the death knell for the underground comic market. Pretty much. Because now you didn't have to keep it underground. There was an easy way to get to it. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, too. When you talk about um, some of these books, one of the ones, and I will freely admit that I have read this, it is a guilty pleasure. I wish I had kept my first prints of these because they're just crazy, stupid, expensive now. Um, even the reprint versions of them are horrible. There is an... I don't want to say it's an underground comic because obviously it was bought in a comic shop, but it's another one that you're just not going to find anywhere. Um, it was a parody of Archie called Cherry. 
<laughs> I, I know what I you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, I've never I, I've never read it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It was already started as Cherry Pop Tart, then they had to change the title because, because, uh, because of the Pop Tart. Pop Tart. <laughs> you know what I'm talking? You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen these books? No, but I have read about. I've seen some covers and stuff. Yeah, I actually had some of the first prints way back in the day. We used to have a comic shop here called Penguin Comics. And my buddy John Taylor, who actually now runs um, Top Secret Top Secret Press, yes. Uh, guys go out to their website. They've got some great stuff out there. Um, I think Enos has actually sent him a couple of scripts. I actually need to talk, contact him myself as well. But John sold me a bunch of um, the Cherry books, and they were first prints. And I no longer have them. Oh. And I made a mistake of looking them up. Uh, over the summer on eBay, and I was like, are you kidding me? Really? And, and a lot of the ones I found weren't the first prints. <laughs> they were wow. they were expensive. They were like second printings when they had changed publishers. So yours is probably even more expensive. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So anyway, what do we got? We, we're running a little short on time, or long on time, whatever you want to call it, which is actually good because normally we always run over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like um, we could talk a little more here about the critics of the scene claimed that the publications were socially irresponsible. It looks like there was um, a Supreme Court case in 73, Miller versus California, that ruled local communities could decide their own First Amendment standards with reference to obscenity. So that would have had a little, little impact on uh, some of these comics as well. Well, yeah, they, uh, I do remember um, there was a lot, a lot of critics of underground comics who, by the way— weren't out there until the Corcoran exhibit in, in 1968 or late 60s, early 70s. Mm. Corcoran, is it? How am I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. You probably got right at Corcoran. Right. Yeah, right. so, aren't they the Round Museum or is that the Hirshhorn? No idea. No. I can't remember. No. But yes, a lot of those critics, Tommy, if you look at that, the time frame for those critics would be in the early mid-70s, mm-hmm. um, right after they started getting their public recognition. Before that art exhibit, they didn't care they were out there. Wow. But Yeah. Well they didn't probably didn't know the people that were complaining probably right, didn't exactly. know. But also by the flip side of that, for all the critics, you did have a lot of people out there appraise them saying, Hey, they're a voice that's being heard. They're they're doing something that is not gonna be mainstream. And let's be honest, if you're always in your comfortable little corner, you know, what are you gonna you're not gonna grow. Right, right. You're yeah. right. You know, and some of the some of the bigger books got you know tried to get in on a little bit. You know, you know, I would say Howard the Duck and its satirical nature, nature and everything like that was you know within Marvel's ability to do so was trying to get in on some of that. The best example I can think of of Marvel trying to cop the underground comics um, feel and vibe was when they put out Epic Illustrated, mm-hmm. um, because that was, as far as I can remember, the first time Marvel did an adult title. I, I well, remember Epic was creator-owned, wasn't it? I believe yeah. so, yes, yeah. because it didn't fall under the regular Marvel banner. Right, because it didn't fall, yeah. You know what my favorite story was in Epic Illustrated? Was it the whole Vance Dreadstar saga and the Metamorphos Odyssey by no. Tim Starlin? No, no? there okay. was a short story that you, there was no words. It was just strictly pictures. It dealt with the final hours of Robert E. Howard. Oh, okay. And it's... um. This, it starts from where he's informed that his mother's not going to make it, and it ends with him committing suicide. Ooh! Now, is this based on a true story? Is it actual events? Yeah, yeah. The, um, it's, it's 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 an artist's rendering of what of of what he felt those final hours were. Oh, see, I didn't know any of this. Yeah, and I'll have to show it to you because my um, manager. Happened to bring. He held them. He had them, and he brought it to me. And I happened. To, I hadn't seen it since '85. And it's uh, it's 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 a very jarring story, and it's then and it drives home proof positive how important storytelling is if you're going to be a comic book artist. Right. And that book told the story without uttering a word. Some of the best stories I've read are the ones with no dialogue, no captions, but you can see what's going what's on going in the pictures. That's the mark of a good artist. Yeah. 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 Not, not think, every artist can do that. And I think it was Sandy Plunkett who did the artwork for this. Okay. I, and, and going back when we're talking about Epic, because I, I remembered something, one can easily make the argument that the underground comics directly influenced war and publishing. 
Oh, yeah. Vampirella and Rook and Creepy and, and Eerie because they also didn't have to confirm the CCA. Now, they weren't as risque as, you know, the actual underground press with their nudity and their, their violence and what have right. you. But they could push it a little bit at times. Of course, and, and of course, let us not forget heavy metal. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and again, heavy metal is right up there with Playboy and National Lampoon. Exactly. When after Underground Comics got their due recognition and people started carrying regular newsstand comics and they realized that, well, you know, all because it's this format and not the 7 by 11 format and doesn't go in that rack, it's not qualifying as a comic book. Therefore, CCA doesn't come into play. Yeah. It is a magazine. And I can put it on the rack with the adult sophisticates, which is what you <laughs> refer to as Playboy and Penthouse Playboy and what, what have you. Have you. That's going back to my Walden books days at what we used to call them. <laughs> I actually get, remember when I worked at Walden books, I was like one of two guys there and I had the magazine um, department every week. And of course, that meant I had to put out all the porn every time. And well, you know, <laughs> if I wasn't there, that rack would get empty and the women would never stock it. And I'm like, okay, look, ladies, because I know you have an aversion to this, but the bottom line is they sell. You need to keep them stocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that is our history on Underground Comics. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, just want to let everyone know there are no episodes of Lost in a Long Box next week and the week after because, of course, it is Christmas and New Year's. They, they just asked that in chat. Okay. Okay. Who is that, Jim? Or? Yeah, Jim. Yeah. yeah, there are no episodes next week or the week after, Jim. And then the episodes after that, the next two, it will just be um, Enos, Tommy, and Madman because I will be on vacation. I leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bragging uh, again. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling them I'm not here. You told us uh, twice, uh, once before the show and then twice on the show. Being so that bragging. you are mentioned that you're going to uh, Australia, man, I got I to gotta, uh, check out, see what the... The water does go the other way in the toilet. Is that what you're asking? I know. It's water. <laughs> I asked for that. <laughs> no, the Fru Phantom. The, the, fr- the Fru Phantom comics. The black and white magazine style. Oh, you, you want me to see if I can find uh, yes, some? Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can. There's Phantom shops all over If, I, if I have some um, days on on land when I'm not tied to the recruit ship and have to get back at a certain time, yes, I will. All right, check it out, man. Um, but anyway, so I will be gone those two weeks. I come back on the week of the 13th, so I'll be here for the show on the 15th. Um, you guys actually have a full schedule of stuff that Tommy and I sit down for shows because you guys are good. And we'll do another one of our meetings when I get back for the next two or three months. Um, Want to make sure I mention the three magic words of the internet? Like, share, and subscribe, guys. Um, because every little bit helps. We want to make sure we grow our audience. Um, we do have our Facebook page, of course, facebook.com slash lost in the long box. We have our Gmail, lost in the long box at gmail.com. You can drop us a letter. What is it you used to always say on HR Puff and stuff? Keep those cards and letters They're coming. coming yep. Except you haven't sent any cards and letters. Any <laughs> uh, we also have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash lost in the long box. Madman has got Shock Monkey Radio every Tuesday night here from 6 to 7 p.m. on FXBG Public Radio. Don't forget our boys, Kevin and Troy, doing our sister show, the ComicsOnline.com podcast, Monday nights from 9.30 to 10.30. Um, Enos has his great, fantastic Facebook pages that are associated with us, Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, the realm of superheroes, comics, and pop culture, and gather together the greatest superhero teams. By the way, um, I think Batman Yesterday, Today, and Forever is up to over 2,000 now, isn't it? Close to it. It's one point, almost 1.5. Nice. Uh, love that you guys are after supporting because I can tell you, I know a lot of you guys are now tuning into the podcast as well, so thank you very much for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want everybody to have a safe holiday. Um, remember, don't drink and drive. You know, might spill your drink. Sorry, I, did, I can't believe I went there. Um, but until Please next time. Please exercise responsibly. Right. Yes. Until next time, Tommy, yes. I need you to remember, if you bury a Dark Hawk number one in your backyard, it's not going to count as an underground comic. <laughs> but you're okay to try it. Why is that, Enos? Because we're lost in the long box. Yes, we are. And don't bury your Dark Heart number one. They're too valuable. Okay.